Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. I encourage everybody to take a seat. Turn it up just a bit. There we go. I hope everybody had a, as great of a discussion as I had at my table this morning. And I hope this week was just a little bit easier for you than, than 42 chapters of Job. <clears throat> it, was, it was great for me. Okay, I have a couple of announcements for you uh, before we get started this morning. Um, first one is, I don't know if you know this, but we have something that's been going on at this church for years called Baby Blessing. And we have a woman, Sandra Smithwick, who God has put on her heart to, to make a baby blanket for every baby born here at this church. Um, she used to have so much closer connection with people, and she has been so sad last year. Um, it's just been hard to get, get word to her that, that a baby's been born because she wants to, t- to bring this blanket and this gift to you personally. Uh, but we've been giving it at the baby dedication um, last year. So I promised her I would tell you guys that all you have to do is, is call the church and let us know if a friend has had a baby, because I know you mamas, you don't want to do it, but you can do it too. You can call the church and let us know that, that your baby's been born, and we want to get that gift to you personally. So I'm going to tell Sandra that I told you today, okay? All right, second announcement is we have something coming up October 15th, and I'm going to start um, um, promoting this, but you're the first to hear about it. Um, If you are interested in mentoring, so mentoring someone else in the faith or being mentored by someone, uh, we're going to have what we're calling this time a mentoring workshop and mixer. It's going to be October 15th in the morning from 9 to 1 in this room. It's going to include lunch. Um, There's a small, there's going to be a small little cost, but it'll cover lunch and it'll cover a book. We're going to learn a little bit about mentoring. Kim, Kim Ronslaben and I are going to do a little bit of teaching on it. But then we're going to have a, t- a chance to get to know um, a lot of different women. So it'll be a mixer where we kind of mix up and talk on a deeper level, get to know people, um, and potentially um, a mentoring relationship might be born out of that. So that's October 15th, 9 to 1, and you're going to start hearing a lot about it and have a chance to sign up. So I wanted to tell you about it. Okay, this morning... Um, instead of a song of worship, we are going to do something different, and this was a brilliant idea by our speaker today, and uh, she's going to talk to us about how God compels us to speak to one another with psalms, which we've just been speaking about for an hour, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're supposed to speak to one another through those. Now, often we sing those songs together, but today we're going to speak them so I'm going to give you five minutes is what we usually take to sing a song. Um, you have, everybody has a little sheet on your table. Everybody grab one. On one side it says songs. What I want you to do in these five minutes, I want you to write a song that is very meaningful to you. Maybe it's your favorite song, but it doesn't have to be. Maybe you just heard it this morning on the radio. It is <laughs> but just a song, S-O-N-G, song, that has meant something to you. I want you to write it down first. And then I want everybody to go around the table and share that song. And when you, you hear your neighbor share the song, you write it down. So if you have a list of seven or eight songs. And t- this afternoon, I want you to go home and listen to them. 
maybe make a playlist, or if you don't have that option, listen to them on YouTube, um, and just listen to the songs of your table today, okay? So we're going to speak to one another with songs. I'm going to give you five minutes here. Emily, can you start that for me? And then we'll get started. Okay, guys, I'm going to ask you to wrap up. If, if you haven't all shared, be sure to share before you leave today. Okay. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call our speaker up. Um, this is Patty Greenfield. Um, she's relatively new to our church family. Uh, she's been here a little over a year, but she has been such a blessing to me personally, just such a wonderful friend, full of wisdom, full of love and, and passion for the Lord. And so I'm so thankful that she's agreed to speak to us, and, and I'm excited for you to hear from her. So would you guys join me in praying for Patty, and we'll turn it over to her. God, we, we love you. We thank you. We declare together that you are good, that we can trust you, and we trust you with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, God, we acknowledge you, and you make straight our paths. So would you help Patty today to be your instrument, speak through her, um, help us to hear from you as she um, teaches us, and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know some of you, but I don't know most of you. So um, I'm going to do a This Is Us start to my talk today. So this is my husband, Chuck. We've been married 47 and a half years. And <clears throat> yes... And um, we are transplants from the Northwest. You can maybe see from the scenery there that's a little different than Texas. Um, and then we have three daughters. We have our oldest daughter, Amy, and her husband, John, and their five children. And they live in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya. And our middle daughter, Laura, is married to Tyler. Tyler is 6'8", so he often find him slanted in a picture. <clears throat> and they live in Podgrica, Montenegro. And then our youngest daughter is Anna. She's married to Matt, and they have two boys, um, Lucas and Thomas. And Thomas is a gotcha, and he was adopted and finalized last August. So that is, um, that is us, and um, each one of those is a part of my story. So as we get to know each other, I'm hoping I can share more of that with you. So, well... The Songs of Jesus was our study today, and the Songs of Jesus are the Psalms, and they were used in public worship, and they were sung, and as such, they penetrated the minds of the people, and as we know, music can do that, so I hope you enjoy your playlist this week from your table for that same reason. Um, most of us can sing choruses from a song, but we struggle to remember a verse or a chapter out of the Bible. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it is understandable that the crowd greeted him with the words, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's Psalm 118, verse 26. For it would have been well known to all the people standing on the road. This week, Nancy Guthrie introduced us to the Psalms as a place where we can pour out our emotions before God. Isn't that wonderful as women to know that? It seems like that's our curse, but here it is, an example of how God wants us to understand how we were made. We see that God in intends to change how we feel. 
Emotions are powerful influences of our thoughts, and those um, emotions translate into our actions. Well, the Psalms are rich, rich in the expression of emotions that our God understands and he uses in our transforming work. On page 71, Nancy Guthrie wrote, as God renews our minds through the power of his word, he changes the way we think. We want the Psalms to shape not only our thoughts about God, but our feelings about him and our feelings about life in this world that he has made. Jesus replied to the religious leaders of his day when they were questioning him, trying to often trick him, and it sheds light on how we are to value the Psalms and all of Scripture. For Jesus said, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. That's a profound statement he made. The early church was instructed to sing and pray the Psalms so that they might live their lives spirit-filled, walking in the Spirit. In Ephesians, we read, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. In Colossians, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, presently, right now, today, you have a status with God, and it is stated in Colossians 3.3. Remember I started telling you um, our sto my story with this is us? Well, this is us. Your life is hidden with Christ in God right now, today. David Jeremiah spoke about this phrase, with Christ, and he said, sanctification is becoming in practice what we already are positionally. I want to say that again because I think that's really powerful to realize. Sanctification is becoming in practice what we already are positionally. Think about how God sees us. This God-honoring life that we have been given is what Jesus modeled for us and what we are called up to through the power of the indwelling spirit. Our becoming happens as we submit in humble obedience to the truths that we are learning in the scriptures. This week in our reading, she referenced Romans 8.29. God predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Well, there's additional scriptures that confirm this truth. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So who is this Jesus that we are called to be like in mind and image? Well, the scriptures don't hesitate to answer that for us. But one of my particular favorites is Hebrews 1.3. Who is this Jesus? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So if we want to live out the life that God has called us to and has placed us in, then we need to follow Paul's advice and participate in this transformation by following Paul's advice in Colossians 3.2, where he says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The Psalms were known to Jesus, and they were quoted by him more than any other Old Testament book. His life of living humbly as a man was infused with these songs. They were not only known and used by him, but they were also about him. He spoke them, sang them, taught them, prayed them. He set his mind on things that are above, humbled himself unto death, all for the glory of God the Father. Perhaps you can think of the Psalms like a coin. We're familiar with a coin. It has two sides. Both sides are important. And by looking at either side, we can accurately identify its value and its authenticity. Well, our homework this week introduced us to a new way to read the Psalms, to think of them in these two ways. They are both recited, prayed, and taught by Jesus. He knew them. He was raised as an Israelite, a Jewish boy. But they are also prophetic in speaking about Jesus as the Savior, the Redeemer of the world. Knowing the Psalms, as Jesus did, will set our mind on godliness. We can read them and discover descriptions of God's promised Messiah, and we can read them and recognize our own life situations, and we can find answers in them. Timothy Keller writes that we are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. <clears throat> Philip Yancey, um, a favorite author of mine, wrote in his book, The Bible Jesus Read, <clears throat> and he makes a suggestion on how we can better understand the Psalms so that we can help set our minds on things above. When he wrote, I must read them as an over-the-shoulder reader since the intended audience was not other people, but God. God is the primary audience as we read the Psalms. <clears throat> well, this week in your study, you... Um, read about a way that the Psalms are organized, the 150 of them. And one way she described it or explained it was that there are five books of Psalms. And noteworthy, she said, is that every one of those sets of books ends with a doxology or a praise to God. 
<clears throat> now, Psalm 1 and 2, which we're, I know, going to look at more carefully in the coming weeks, are not Davidic psalms. And actually, they are believed to be um, setting up the entire Psalter, the entire book of Psalms for the children of Israel for the, <clears throat> um, as they wait for their Messiah. But when we look at these five books, Psalm 1 through 41, they end with, <clears throat> Praise be to the Lord. Then Psalms 42 through 72, the next chunk ends with, Praise be to the Lord God. The next chunk, Psalm 73 through 89, ends, Praise be to the Lord forever. Psalm 90 through 106, Praise be to the Lord. And Psalm 170 to 150, the last chunk ends, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Obviously a theme running through this. She also explained to us that there's um, seven categories that are generally used to categorize these psalms. There's hymns of praise, thanksgiving, salvation, history or remembrance psalms, royal psalms, wisdom psalms, songs of trust, and then the largest group, the laments. <clears throat> now, we did an exercise in the laments, and I hope that you will consider following that pattern in your own prayer life and maybe using that because um, it was very helpful how she showed how it was structured out. But remember the language of the laments happens within the context of trust. The laments show us the shadow side of faith. We lament what we think we ought to be changed. We move through our requests for help and we conclude, as all the psalm books do, with praise. Could it be that in this setup of the psalms, we see the process, the transformation process that is referred to in 2 Corinthians 3.18? We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Nancy Guthrie wrote also that there's value in understanding these categories because they help us understand the text. Philip Yancey said that, remember, the Psalms are not so much representing God to the people as it's the people representing themselves to God. We are reading the language of prayer in the Psalms. Martin Luther said, the Psalms are like a mini Bible. They explain salvation history from creation to the coming Messiah and to the final renewal of all things. Our introduction this week was to emphasize the Psalms as the songs of Jesus, in which we see, one, Christ the promised Messiah. And on the back of your little song sheet, I printed these up for you so you don't have to copy these down if you want to just use this as a jumping off point as you're going through psalms but psalm 82 psalm 118 22 psalm 1101 <clears throat> these are all messianic psalms there are over 70 references in the psalms and one of every six psalms has a messianic prophecy but we don't only hear about jesus as the promised messiah we also hear in the Psalms, Jesus used them as his own prayers in response to the pain he suffered in this world. Psalm 22, 1, Psalm 42, 1 through 2, and then 
Similarly, because he knew them so well, Jesus used them in his teaching and rebuking during his public ministry. So these songs of Jesus are the words he lived by, the words he knew by heart, as well as being the promises of a Messiah, which he fulfilled. I want to say again, Jesus prayed these, spoke them, and taught them. Jesus is revealed in the Psalms. Edith Schaefer wrote in her biography, Labrie, a statement about this intimate relationship that we, as Jesus followers, have when she said, there are, there are and always will be many places for improvement in our struggle to be honest before God, hour by hour, day by day, month by month. This is not a life of ease, but a life of tremendous excitement. In between the struggles, excitement, because of finding that we are in contact with the supernatural today. What a treasure. Seeing Jesus in the Psalms is a precious resource with which we can deepen our conviction and understanding of what is probably the most fundamental foundational truth of our faith, and that is Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. Although the Psalms were written for Israel, Psalm 102.18 assures us that indeed these songs are for us, God's people living in the church age. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Keller writes in his book, The Songs of Jesus, that it is on the cross where we see the absolute righteous power and the tender sacrificial love of God combine and shine forth brilliantly, both equally fulfilled. We, the church, have the resource of the full Bible to recognize God's power over all the events and the emotions that life brings to us as we journey towards our future home as his redeemed, loved, and called out people. I have quoted this book many times in speaking to you this morning, so I thought I should give him due recognition and show you it. It is a daily devotional that takes you through the book of Psalms in a year, and I highly recommend it. It's um, a fabulous way to immerse yourself in these songs of Jesus. Well, in closing in our lesson this week, Nancy Guthrie transported us to the future through the book of Revelation, in which our hope, spoken about in the Psalms, witnessed in Jesus' teaching and prayers, will be revealed, and we will hear a new song of Jesus, which will be sung in one glorious choir. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And we're all going to be singing the same song. 
How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. That's Psalm 92.5. And I chose this picture because it was actually a view from my front yard. Almost. Had to look through a few more trees. Um, <clears throat> but it's a good summation of how I thought of the Psalms for most of my life. I cherry-picked verses and concluded that the Psalms was the place to go to be reminded to praise God for his marvelous creation, which speaks of his sovereignty over all. And while that may be partially true, what I learned through this study and in some events in my life is that the worship of God does not only make us rejoice, the worship of God also opens our minds and makes us think. My prayers to God had often neglected to speak back to God my knowledge and understanding of his attributes and to restate the story of God in my life. I have the indwelling Holy Spirit as you do, as my teacher, revealer of truth, and one who brings understanding. So we as God's people living in the church age have no reason to neglect this element of prayer, which is speak back truth to God. The Psalms provide us a rich vocabulary from which to do this. And it is a response to the emotions that unexpected events cause in our lives. In her writings on the Psalms, author Kathleen Norris said, Psalms are poetry, and poetry's function is not to explain but to offer images and stories that resonate with our lives. So I'm going to end today by sharing with you a story of God from my life and how it is directly connected to the Psalms. Meet Eleanor Ann, our 11th grandchild. It was February 2016, and we looked forward to our coming granddaughter, the first one to be born in another country, Kenya. My daughter, Amy, had said, Mom, don't plan a trip until Eleanor's a little older, when she can interact with you more. Come then rather than at her birth. But in the month of February, I felt a nudging that I should go. Oh, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a constant pressing to go. Well, an international trip on my own, taking care of four kiddos in a strange land, Intruding on their private family celebration, missing work, all of this logically made it seem unnecessary to change my plans, and yet it persisted. So I made plans. I prepared to bring two big cases of supplies for their ministry and household because you can get free um, baggage on international flights, so we always take advantage of it. And I arrived the week prior to the birth. That week was spent orienting to re, or getting oriented to their routines and visiting African sites and, well, just enjoying that excitement that comes with the anticipation of a new birth. Amy was scheduled for a C-section on Tuesday, April 17th. She checked in on Monday evening, and Tuesday morning we received the wonderful word that Eleanor had been born, and we got ready to go meet her. While we were unloading in the parking lot at the hospital, my phone rang. It was Amy's friend, and she requested that only John, Amy's husband, return to the room as there appeared to be something wrong with Eleanor, and <clears throat> she had been taken down to the NICU. 
So the four littles and I went into a hospital cafe to keep occupied, and John later returned to take us up to see Amy, but told us that the baby would not be in the room. Eleanor was having some trouble with her oxygen levels, and she had been placed on oxygen in the NICU to stabilize. Amy cheerfully comforted her children and assured them that Eleanor's doctor was taking care of her, and she sent myself and the two older girls down to see Eleanor. We oohed and awed over her in the incubator, like one does over babies and the wonder of their small but beautifully designed bodies. But the next few days brought us very discouraging reports of Eleanor's continuing decline. She was requiring increasing oxygen support, and there seemed to be no response to the medicines and no clear explanation for what was happening to her little body. Well, in those hours, we all no doubt reflected back on Amy's first pregnancy in 2006. Amy's first pregnancy had been twins, and they had been diagnosed with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Her babies underwent interutero surgery at 22 weeks, and I know there's lots of medical people out here, so it's called endoscopic laser ablation. And the surgery appeared successful. But on April 26th, at 32 weeks, Mary Lou was still born, <clears throat> and Providence began her NICU journey of eight weeks, starting life at three pounds, one ounce. All those memories rushed forward. Then Thursday brought the grim news to us that nothing more could be done for Eleanor, but the family could consider a medevac flight to get more medical support. Eleanor required an American passport to fly out of country. And it was a miracle of bureaucracy that is another story that John was able to acquire after hours from the American embassy a temporary passport for Eleanor. So on Saturday morning, a medevac flight from Johannesburg, South Africa, arrived. They disconnected the antiquated machine. Eleanor took the ambulance to the airport and headed south. John followed in a commercial jet, and I remained in Kenya with four grandchildren, Eleanor's siblings. When is Eleanor coming home, was voiced. Oh, I was so aware of my response. Would I be lying if I said all would be well? Could I speak about a good God? What if Eleanor died? I was consumed by fear. The voices in my head reminded me of Job's friends. I was decrying God, employing action to prove himself, arguing the unjustness of a repeated death of a child in our family. And in the darkness, while my four grandchildren slept, I paced the circle in the house, telling God what I thought was prayer talk, that he had to save Eleanor. If not, what would it do to his reputation? What was I going to say to them? I was exhausted telling God how and why to behave. And God spoke to my fear. He brought up lots of remembrances for me about fear, like Hebrews 13:6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I knew those. But in our study this week, Nancy Guthrie said, you are not crazy to talk to yourself. You are wise to do so. 
The Psalms are the songs we need to speak truth to our faithless feelings, she said. Speak to them. Speak out when you are afraid. You're forgotten. You're alone in your grief. You're angry toward God. You're jealous. We should be talking to ourselves. She tells us that the Psalms speak of our desperate need for hope. Well, I was comforted by these verses about fear, but my personal fear was unabated. What would I say to those four little people in the morning? Timothy Keller says, What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. I went to the Psalms seeking a statement about God that would cover over our prayers each day as we hoped for Eleanor's healing. The question from God I needed to answer was not, do you trust me? He asked me a much deeper question. Why do you trust me? When I answered that why question, it gave me the hope that I so desperately needed. Back in week zero of our study, Amy spoke of the power of our why. And when I heard that that day, I thought, oh my, that's just what happened. The why inspires us from within and draws us to the eternal, she told us. God gave me this from the Psalms. All of Psalm 145, but particularly verse 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That was the why to my question. Why do I trust you, God? Because you are good to all. And you have compassion on all you have made. And you made Eleanor. Timothy Keller says that psalms are not only prayers we can recite, but we can structure our prayers by putting them inside of the psalms. And that is what we did. We took Psalm 145.9 and we created a banner. This is the only picture I could find. And we put it on the wall. We put the words to a little ditty. We sang it throughout the days. We defined compassion as understanding and deeply caring about someone. And we inserted these words from Psalm 145 in every prayer we prayed for Eleanor. On Monday, we received a call that Eleanor appeared to be responding to a new antibiotic. By Thursday, she was off the ventilator and on a cannula and even breathing for periods of time unassisted. Eleanor flew back to Kenya on Saturday and met her brothers and sisters for the first time. <clears throat> you know, the Psalms represent every situation in life, and they put the greatness of God right next to our life situation. And as we see truth alongside our life situations, we are given hope. Now, don't mistake. I'm not saying that there's a magic potion that you recite back to God. I'm saying Look for him in there, and you will find him. For from him, through him, and in him are all things. Romans 11.36. This right thinking about God triumphs over the events and the emotions that we feel. This is the power of the living word. 
and living it out in our lives is a most desirable outcome. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your magnificence in sculpting and your word in ways that we can understand you better. And we especially today praise you for your book of Psalms in which you allow us to see how we can use the emotions you have given us as creatures created in your image to reach deeper into you and understand you deeper. May we pray back the Psalms to you as prayer songs seeking to know you better. And may you meet each of us in our place of need and enlarge our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Patty. You guys have a good, yeah, she did a great job. Have a good week, and remember it's 1130, so go get your children as soon as you can, and have a great, great week.